Lord, thank you for this time of worship and the added blessing of observing your table as part of our worship to you today. And I'm grateful for everyone who you brought to our church service today, God. I know that was your divine, omniscient, all-wise, all-loving plan and purpose. I'm grateful for uh, those who are needing to listen on the live stream, including my wife in Korea right now. But grateful, God, uh, for us being together, assembled together, as you have called us to, for, for this time and uh, everything leading up to this time in your word. We thank you, God. We ask you to continue to convict and encourage our hearts in the truth that you reveal to us and help us, help us, God, to listen uh, eagerly, knowing that this is your word of truth in love to us. So thank you once again, God, for everyone here and this time of worship to you as your word is preached and heard and listened to and heeded. For it's in Christ's strong name we pray. Amen. Let's turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And as we get to the end of this chapter, our Lord Jesus, as we heard last week, has been taken away. He's under arrest. And he's undergoing the mock trials before the Jewish religious authorities. We're in the late night, early morning hours. Not many more left until Jesus is crucified. And the abandonment of the Lord is in full swing. Right? Many people are giving false testimonies against him. And all his followers and all his disciples have taken off. They've left him. And in our passage, this communion Sunday morning, the spotlight is on Peter. Hey, the rock is about to crumble under the pressure. And he's in kind of a trial here himself, in stark contrast to the trial that Jesus was in, which we saw last Sunday. Today's passage is the well-known scene where Peter, under pressure from those who suspect him to be one of Jesus' disciples, ends up denying the Lord, not once, not twice, but thrice. As we look at the text leading up to our observance of the Lord's table, I think we can learn some very practical lessons today from Peter's failure that night roughly 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to read our passage, Mark 14, verses 66 to 72. And the title for the sermon today is Under Pressure. So if you would stand with me, if you can, as we honor God's word. Mark 14, verse 66 to 72 is our passage for this morning. And this is the word of God. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. 
And he went out onto the porch, and a rooster crowed. The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Please be seated. I want to bring to you this morning a few pitfalls to avoid if you want to follow Christ faithfully. It's in your um, bulletin, the outline, the notes there. A few pitfalls to avoid if you want to follow Christ faithfully. Some very practical lessons I think we can learn today from the text. And I want you to keep this thought in mind, though. I don't have a a sermon theme or a big idea um, like I, I usually do. But keep this thought in mind, okay? As Christians, our sinful failures, as awful as they are, do not define us. Okay, but what does define us is what follows after we sinfully fail. Okay, as Christians, our, our sins are awful, big, small. Okay, and every time we fail, um, it should hurt us. But understand this, if you're a Christian... Even your sins do not define you. You are defined by who you are in Christ. Forgiven, saved, reconciled, redeemed, heading towards heaven. But what does define us as Christians is what follows after we sin. And I want you to keep that thought tucked away in the back of your mind because we're going to get back to it in the end before we go to the Lord's table. But for now, four pitfalls. I've got a few pitfalls here. There's four of them to be exact. Four pitfalls to avoid if you want to follow Christ faithfully. And the first one is the, the shortest thing. That's why there's, there's hardly any space for, there for you to write in your bulletin. It's kind of like a, a prelude to the denials that Peter is about to make. But look at verse 54 again. Because it says there, Peter had followed him at a distance. Right? Our, our text today is starting in verse 66. But last week, verse 54 And um, Matthew and Luke, the parallel passages, say the same thing. They're they're quick to point that out. Peter followed at a distance. And so I mentioned last week that Peter did love the Lord. He couldn't help following, even after he fleed, right? But he does so at a distance, a safe distance. So yes, he kind of continues to follow Jesus, but it's from afar. It's like trailing along. And in this moment of pressure, he's not walking with the Lord near to him. He's keeping away. And I just want to give a gentle warning here as we see Peter keeping at a safe distance away from the Lord as an opening thought. And when we start to follow the Lord from afar in our lives, we are flirting with danger. Okay? Compromise, denial, and failure become perilously close. And may I even say, perhaps, shipwreck of your faith. 
For most people, being distant from the Lord is a slow drift. And many, many times it begins with drifting away from God's people and neglecting consistent church attendance, prioritizing other things above fellowship and discipleship, just disregarding God's basic commands like Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, right? We all know it, don't we? Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. Right? As, as we see things getting worse and worse and worse, we're supposed to be getting together more and more and more and encouraging each other more and more and more. Keeping the church at a distance goes against God's simple instructions for His people. Okay, being and staying connected with the church body is one of the most important ways that He designed for us to stay close to Him. He's the head. And this is individually, like individual people and the church collectively. This is how we stay close to the Savior and not at a distance. Fellowship and relationship within the church family are what keeps us following Christ more closely. So I couldn't let that go, even though it wasn't technically part of our text, but it's part of the big thing that's happening here, right? So listen to this. Consider, consider Hebrews 3, verse 12 and 13. The author of Hebrews writes, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's our job, church. He says brethren. That means brothers, sisters in Christ, church family. It's our job to continually be encouraging one another spiritually. To keep each other's hearts soft towards God and soft towards the gospel and soft towards each other. Lest our hearts become hardened, evil, and unbelieving, and distant, and far off, and away, and fooled by the deceitfulness of sin. We need gospel truth and encouragement day after day after day. So if you are here this morning and you are following the Lord at a distance, or those who may be listening on the live stream, and the Lord is at a distance from you, you're following from afar, my shepherding word here to you is to stop and recognize this as a danger to your soul your eternal soul. It's potentially a a prelude of denial and failure. Hey, what Peter is going to do in our text today. It's time you acknowledge your distance from the Lord and turn around, turn back, which requires repentance. That's the very meaning of the word repentance. And regain real fellowship with God. Okay, avoid that first pitfall of following from afar. The second pitfall to avoid if you want to follow him faithfully. Verses 66 to 68. Hey, don't forget Jesus' word. Don't forget Jesus' word. 
verse 66 again. It says, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene, but he denied it. He denied it. Can we uh, turn back a page to compare that with uh, verses 29 to 31, the conversation that Peter and Jesus have just a couple hours before what's happening in our text today? Verse 29 says, But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Peter forgets his own strong, convincing defiance, along with forgetting Jesus' words to him. When this young servant girl sees him, Staring at him, looking carefully at his face in the light of the fire that he's warming himself with, the pressure on Peter rises. And the servant girl says, you also were with Jesus, the Nazarene. And by the way, that's not a compliment she's making towards the Lord. Rather, it's um, just alluding to the little-known town of Nazareth, uh, which has a very just lowly reputation, as people used to say. Then can anything good come out of Nazareth? So describing Jesus or anyone like this, a Nazarene, was kind of like a a disparaging insult in a way. So this servant girl of the high priest, uh, she's looking at him. And Luke says, Luke says, looking intently at him, the pressure is turned up. And she accuses him of being one of them, a disciple of that Nazarene man on trial over there in the high priest courtroom. And Peter, completely forgetting what the Lord said to him that he would deny him, does just that, right? But he denied it. This is denial number one. It's a strong, emphatic denial. So I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And just that old TV show, Different Strokes, came to mind. You remember that little kid? Hey, what you talking about, Willis? Right? That just, he's emphasizing that he's no way, shape, or form associated with Jesus. I have no idea what you're saying. And this was his automatic default response, denial, just completely forgetting Jesus' words just from a few hours ago, even after the rooster crows. Right? Some have mentioned that maybe, maybe he didn't notice the, the rooster crowing because that's what the rooster did every time at that, that time of morning. Right? But it seems incredible that this cock crowing did not bring to mind what Jesus so recently and strikingly told him. You, Peter, are going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. I mean, how many times does anybody ever say something like that to you in life? And I don't want to be too hard on Peter here with all that's happening on this dark night. But then again, it's all happening exactly as Jesus said. He should have listened. It seems not too much to expect that he would have remembered the Lord's words to him. Like How on earth could he forget? But like Peter, how quickly and completely do we sometimes forget God's word to us? And this is a pitfall to avoid, dear Faith Bible Church, if we want to follow Christ faithfully. 
don't forget his word. Don't forget the promises and cautions found in God's word, including point number one, which I just told you, right? But if the Bible promises something to happen in the future, like the rapture or Jesus' return, we should believe and look forward to it. Don't forget it. If the Bible promises reward for our faith and action, hey, like it does, hey, like Jesus does, trust and obey it. Don't forget it. If the Bible warns us of things to avoid or resist, which it does, take heed and do it. Don't forget it. And if the Bible admonishes us of temptations to battle and sins to kill, receive and put on your armor and go to war. Don't forget it. In other words, if you want to follow Jesus faithfully, don't forget his word. Listen to Psalm 119, verses 55 and 56. Psalm 119, almost every verse has to do with God's word, right? Verse 55, 56 says, O Lord, I remember your name in the night and keep your law. This has become mine that I observe your precepts. Hey, has become mine. I've owned it. I'm, I'm a doer. I'm not just a hearer of God's word. I don't forget it. I remember God's name. And I keep the law. I've said this before, but I think it's a good reminder. Okay? Put on your specs okay? and keep them on. When you read the Bible, when you study the Bible, when you hear God's word, specs. Don't forget. Okay, specs. It stands for S-P-E-C-S. Okay? Sins to forsake. When you read the Bible, be on the lookout for that. Any sins to forsake. The P, promises to claim. A precious promises from God's claim. When you read God's word, look for those. Examples to follow. That's the E. Look for examples to follow. Or what not to follow, like we're seeing with Peter here in our text this morning. Okay? S-P-E-C stands for commands to obey. Right? There are commands that we're supposed to do. Right? Commands of commission. And there's... Things that we're, we're not supposed to do. Omission. And then, lastly, the S. Stumbling blocks to avoid. Okay, maybe there are particular things in God's Word that, that, that you need to look at and remember. Okay, stumbling blocks to avoid. We know our hearts better than anyone else outside of God, right? So, to close this point, listen to Psalm 103, verse 18. Psalm 103, verse 18. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Psalm 103, verse 18, such a precious verse to cap this point. Okay, so the first two pitfalls to avoid, don't follow from afar. Hey, don't forget Jesus' word. Don't forget the Bible. Don't forget God's word. Read it and remember it. The next pitfall that we should avoid if we want to follow Jesus faithfully is don't fear man. Don't fear man. Verse 69 to the first part of verse 70 says, The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again, he denied it. Denial number two, right? And this comes after the same servant girl sees Peter and she begins to say not only to him, but now she's talking to the other people who are standing there. This is one of them. This guy is a disciple. 
Matthew 26, parallel passage, verse 71 says, Another servant girl spotted him and said the same thing. So now there's two. And Luke 22, verse 58, recounts that it was a man who pointed Peter out. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And then the other parallel passage is in John chapter 18, verse 25. It leaves a general. And it says, They saw him and said to him. So there's a plural number of people. In other words, there were multiple witnesses. Okay, slave girls and ordinary men there who see Peter, and they're pointing him out as one of Jesus' disciples. Okay, the pressure rises even more. It's one thing for a single servant girl to come up to you, but now there's a number of people pointing the finger, singling you out. Okay, is, is there ever a situation where one is overcome with the fear of man more than in a group context? Okay, what they're saying what they will say, what they might say, what they think. If we simply stand up for our Lord Jesus and say, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I belong to him. Hey, we're, we're okay saying that in private or with our church, right, brothers and sisters. But how about out there when the pressure rises? Will we stand up for the Lord? What's a disciple to do? Well, Peter, in Mark, back to Mark, it says, but again, he denied it. And that, that tense in the Greek there indicates that Peter kept denying it multiple times. And this once bold and courageous leader of the twelve, Peter the rock, he's crumbling under the pressure of these people finding him out as a disciple of Jesus. The fear of man grips him. And again, he finds himself forcefully and repeatedly denying the Lord. I don't know this man. If, if we want to follow Jesus faithfully, we need to avoid that pitfall, okay, the fear of man. Whether it's in a work environment or a classroom environment or hanging out with friends environment or wherever you are. Fearing man's disapproval. Okay, that's what we mean when we say the, the fear of man. Or on the flip side, overly wanting man's approval, okay, the approval of others. Being so overwhelmed with concern about people's opinion can hinder us from being a faithful disciple of our Lord. I believe there is a healthy, Christ-honoring, God-glorifying way that we can say, I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I'm a Christian. I belong to Jesus. And that's that. Proverbs 29, verse 25. Consider this precious nugget of truth and wisdom. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a what? A snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. That Hebrew word for snare refers to traps. A traps that hunters used to use to capture animals or birds. they're, They're dangerous. Snares are dangerous. And if we get caught in one, we need to do whatever it takes to get ourselves out of it. There's some animals you might know, like wolves and coyotes. They get caught in a trap. They'll they'll chew their leg off to get out of that thing. Thankfully for us, God has the power to free us from any snare, and he wants us to live in the safe freedom of trusting him, just like that proverb says. 
And he does this not just by removing our fear of man's disapproval, but by telling us to transfer that fear to the right place. It's not just stopping something or, or putting off something. We're supposed to put something else on. This is the way Jesus puts it in Matthew 10:28. Okay, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10:28. This is Jesus' own words. Don't fear man. All they can do is kill you. That's the worst they can do. Okay? He says, fear God, who is able to destroy not only your physical body but send you to hell. Pastor John Bloom puts it this way. It might be helpful to remember this simple biblical truth. We obey the one we fear. He writes, the person or persons whose reward of approval we desire most and whose curse of disapproval we most fear to receive is the person we will obey. That is our functional God. And that's why the Bible so often commands us to fear the Lord, end quote. It's interesting to note that Peter was not the only one who struggled with fear. And when you read the Bible and just um, you think of uh, even Abraham, right, in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20, two times out of fear of man, he, he tells the kings, he tells the people in charge that um, Sarah's his sister rather than his wife, right? And then Isaac does the same thing, his son. Um, even the, the, among the spiritual leaders of, of Israel, John writes this in John chapter 12, verse 42-43. Listen to this. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers, okay, this is the spiritual leaders of Israel, b- who believed in him, um, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And that's fearing man and wanting man's approval over fearing God and wanting his approval. So understand this, dear people. It is a sin to fear man above God. And it's a snare. It's a trap. Because fear and man is a false God. But the fear of the Lord is safe. It's safe. You know why? Because he really is God. He really is to be feared. Fearing man is a sin that trips up our legs in the race of faith that we're running. And it gets us caught in a trap as we walk with the Lord. So we need to avoid it like we avoid those potholes when we're driving after the rain. Hey, avoid fear of man, or as Hebrews 12:1 says, lay it aside, put it aside. And so let me just give you some very brief um, helps, encouragements to, on how to avoid this pitfall of fear of man. First, really quickly, confess it. Hey, confess your fear of man as sin to God. Hey, to some degree, I think all of us, myself included, suffer from wanting the approval of man. And when that comes, we, we need to, we need to con- confess it to God. If you're convicted of this now, today, as we just uh, look ahead to, to the Lord's table, um, 
confess it even this moment. Or in the future, when you feel that, that coming upon your heart and, and you sense that, that you're, you're saying or doing something because of your fear of man, be quick to go to the Lord, confess it, repent. Okay? Like other sins that we deal with, um, it's good to, to even share that with a faithful friend, okay? a trusted, faithful friend, brother and sister in Christ, who can pray for you, who can encourage you, help you to fight it. Okay? This is what the church family is for. The second thing out of three here is consider and question your fear of man. Confess it, but think about it. Consider and question your fear of man. Um, answer what it is that you are afraid of exactly and why that is. Okay? Is there any good reason for, for you to fear? Especially what Jesus says in Matthew 10:28, which I mentioned before, right? It's helpful to evaluate this fear because doing that many times exposes just the the ridiculous nature of the fear, right? How petty it is and how even pathetic my reasons are for fearing, for fearing man. Okay? When you consider it, it brings to light. And even if you're talking about it with somebody else, it, it kind of exposes it for what it is. Okay? Lastly is confront, confront your fear of man. Acts 5.29, you remember Peter and the apostles boldly said, and this is after the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and he says, we must obey God rather than men. And that kind of obedience calls for courage. And uh, um, to quote um, another writer here, he says, Courage is not the absence of the emotion of fear, but the resolve to obey despite what we feel. Let me say that again. Courage is not the absence of the emotion of fear, but it's the resolve to obey despite what we feel. Exercise your trust in God by stepping out in obedience. End quote. Right? And um, Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, is a, a good verse to, to think about. As Moses told the Israelites, before they enter into the promised land, which is full of these huge, scary, strong, heathen people and warriors, he tells them, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. So ultimately, fearing God and entrusting ourselves to Him, I want to encourage you, is safety. It's freedom. Fearing man is not. And God teaches us this, us this through our obedience. Through our obedience, even though we might be afraid. And uh, men of the Word, yesterday, we talked about just fears of uh, evangelism, fear of reaching out, fear of speaking to one another, uh, to others about the gospel, engaging unbelievers for Christ and in Christ-loving debate or defense of the faith, apologetics. When we go through that hard lesson of just stepping out in faith and obeying God, we learn to trust His promises. Okay? We trust those more and more and more over our emotions, over our feelings, over even our, our past or our perception of things. We believe Him when He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And Hebrews 13, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Hebrews 13, verse 6. And so we want to avoid that pitfall of the fear of man, which leads us to our last one. Verses 70 to 72. Don't fall asleep spiritually. Don't fall asleep spiritually. Says, and after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you 
are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. And Peter's third denial here comes after a little while. Uh, Luke adds, after about an hour had passed. And that another man came. Luke says, another man came along with these bystanders. And they're all at this point affirming, surely he is one of them, disciples of Jesus. They're certain of it. And they give the reasoning. For you are a Galilean too. And along with Matthew 26, listen to verse 73 of Matthew 26. The bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Okay, so Peter's accent or his choice of words, it reveals to the, to the people that he is from Galilee, which associates him with Jesus who is from Nazareth, which is in Galilee up north. Okay, so it's like that, that accent is like um, you know, those in the north, right? My, my seminary professor used to say, just describing Israel and Judah, the north and the south, the Yankees and the southerners. And you must be like one of those New Yorkers, right? And so he had some kind of accent, some kind of, maybe it was the clothing he was wearing. All of this just gave him away. And so he begins to curse and swear. And um, I want us to understand that Peter is going beyond even using foul language here. He's actually doing even worse than that. He's basically calling down a curse of God upon himself if he's not telling the truth. He he swears like like an oath, invoking God as the ultimate witness of his denials of being Jesus' disciple. Hey, I don't want to be irreverent here, but just to give you an idea, a picture of what he might have said, may God Almighty damn me to hell if I am lying. Okay? Or I swear to God, If I know the man, may God himself take my life right now. That's that's even worse than than using profane language. And notice how Peter distances himself from Jesus by by not saying his name, right? Swearing, I I do not know this man you are talking about. As if the Lord, his master, his rabbi, his teacher, is a complete stranger to him. I don't know this guy at all. No clue what you're talking about. Hey, listen, in case you didn't notice, this is a lie upon a lie. So along with the denials is, is falsehood, deceit, things we talked about last week. The sin mounts under the pressure of their charges. The rock succumbs to fear and doubt and flesh and despair. The pitfall to avoid Don't fall asleep spiritually. Remember again, Peter physically fell asleep three times instead of spiritually praying in Gethsemane. And three times he denies Jesus here instead of boldly confessing him in the courtyard. As many have noted, he has failed to perform here because he failed to spiritually prepare. So we too must be sure to avoid that pitfall if we want to faithfully follow our Lord. Don't fall asleep spiritually. Go to God in prayer. Don't go to battle in the strength of your own flesh and power. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. We must be spiritually attuned, charged, emboldened, entrusting ourselves to God. Dear people, sometimes it's even little things that that set us off and, and we fail in that moment of irritation or, or difference 
or conflict. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Listen, Ephesians 6, verse 10 and 18 to this point. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Verse 18, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance. Don't fall asleep spiritually. Be prayerful. Be alert. James 5.16 The fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So back to Mark 14. Okay, For Peter, in verse 72, immediately a rooster crowed a second time, right? After that third denial. The rooster crows that second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him. Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And then Peter remembers, right? Too late. After the fact, he denies Jesus just as Jesus said he would three times before the rooster crowed twice. So we've learned of some pitfalls, four pitfalls here to avoid if you and I want to follow Christ faithfully. Don't follow from afar. Don't forget his word. Don't fear man. Don't fall asleep spiritually. But I want to conclude with this, the end of verse 72. Okay, And this is very, very important, folks, and even critical, incredibly essential for our understanding this morning. And I said it in the beginning, I'll say it again. As Christians, our sinful failures do not define us, okay, as awful as they are. They didn't define Peter as awful as his denials and failure was. But what does define us is what follows after we sinfully fail. So he denies him, and at the end of verse 72, and he began to weep. In Luke 22, it says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And this was a look with eyes swollen and bloodied, with a face that has spit smeared across it, cheeks beaten and bruised and discolored, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And he went out and wept bitterly. The Net Bible says, and he broke down and wept. I think that's an accurate translation and picture. He's, He's sobbing over and over. Peter's weeping again and again. It's the kind of weeping that we understand. Right? Like uncontrollable crying, like when we receive the, the most tragic or bad news. He wept bitterly, even convulsively. Peter's heart was broken upon hearing that rooster crow and seeing the Lord's eyes meet his eyes. And these were tears of repentance. And that was Peter's automatic, heartfelt response when he realized. As messed up, as awful as his denials of Jesus were, this failure did not define him. What ultimately mattered was what followed after his failure, which was true repentance. To quote McGee, he said, Peter could repent of his sin, and that is the real test of a genuine believer. End quote. If we rewind just a few hours, we know that on this night, All the disciples abandoned Jesus 
But first was Judas, who betrayed him into the hands of his enemies. And here we have Peter, denying three times that he even knew who Jesus was. But whereas Peter wept those bitter tears of repentance and was later gently restored by the Lord, John chapter 21, right? Again, three times. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Three times. Okay. Judas committed suicide by hanging himself. Matthew 27, verse 5. See, Peter had faith in Jesus that could be restored, but Judas, Judas did not. And it was evidenced by their two different reactions. And it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 10. Okay, you should jot that one down. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 and 10. Paul writes about the Corinthian believers being made sorrowful to the point of repentance according to the will of God. A repentance without regret. Hey, that's like Peter's here. That's true repentance. But then Paul writes, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And that's like Judas, who never really knew the Lord, even though on the outside it looked like he was 100% a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so, dear folks, I want to bring to your attention, what is your repentance like? Spurgeon, I think it was, said that we have a repentance that needs to be repented of. For us, especially as we approach our communion time now, but really on a daily basis as we continue to commit sin, and maybe even some of these pitfalls that we talked about this morning that we're convicted of, if we've been following Jesus from afar, maybe that's you today. Or if you're forgetting or neglecting God's word, maybe you're not even reading the Bible once a week, twice a week, once a, every other week if you have time. Or maybe we're guilty of fearing man. And this is the reason why we don't share the gospel with people. Maybe we're just spiritually lethargic and falling asleep and prayerless. We're prayerless. We, we tell people that we're praying for them, and actually, we didn't spend, spend a, a, even a minute praying for them. And the most important thing is what follows, what we do next. If we're guilty of any of those sins or any other sins, we have the option, listen, we have one option of defending ourselves, right? Or blaming others, or making excuses, right, a mile long, trying to justify our bad behavior, or our neglect, or our bad attitude, or maybe we just ignore the issue altogether. Okay? All of those things, let me tell you, just add more sin upon the sin that you're already committing. Okay? The other option is this, running to the Lord, who is a tower of safety, going to him, beholding his face. <laughs> he turned and looked at Peter, <laughs> looking at his face and confessing your sin before him in real repentance. And that's the other option. Hey, repentance means to turn around. It doesn't mean just stop once again, but turn around and go back to the Lord. Go to Him. For believers, it's, it's the only option. right? 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, which was the heart of that Cleanse Me song that we sang earlier. That's the key thing for believers, to take our sins immediately to the Lord in prayerful confession. Okay, Listen, defense and denial 
it compounds our sin. It makes life a lot more complicated and your soul that much more disturbed. But confession cancels it. It cancels it. Proverbs 28:13, And he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find what? Compassion. Mercy. His mercy is more. As Christians, our sinful failures, as awful as they are, do not define us. They do not define who we are if we are born-again believers. But what does define us is what follows after we fail. And that will lead us to our communion time and our observance of the Lord's table. And once again, everyone, this, this time is um, set apart for Christians, uh, for people, uh, for the church. Uh, this is Jesus' decree to those who have been born again and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have not done yet, that yet, um, I would implore you, I would invite you, to turn from your sin, turn from your unbelief, and, and throw your trust upon Jesus Christ alone. That he died for your sins. That his death on the cross was not just a, a fact of history or even just a made-up story. It was real-life provision from God and God's expression of love towards you. That if you believe that he is the, God, the, the Lord, the Savior, And the only way to get to heaven, and that all you have to do is turn from your sin and place your trust and faith in him, you will be saved, believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. So there's there's no more sting in death. Christ has overcome that that pain of, of death, and he's given us victory in him.